Um, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 4 right away as, as you wait. I'm going to talk a little bit and then we're going to read it. Um, really, really cool. Last week, uh, near the end of Andrew's sermon, he was preaching through Romans 5 and through Romans 6. And I was starting to take notes. I'm like, oh, this is so applicable for next week. And then his closing statement and his, his conclusion he used the very text of, that's our main text today. And I just got excited. I'm like, Lord, you're so sovereign. How cool is that? He's just, it's just one of those moments where God just showed me, like, Ty, first of all, it's just not about you in any way, shape, or form. Like, nothing you can do this week in your own effort will get you any further to delivering a good message. Like, you need me so much. And he just, during that, that time, the, the end of the sermon last week, I just went, God, you're so good. How cool is that? to just link it all together. Like, I couldn't have come up with that. Right? I couldn't have orchestrated that. Um, so it was, it was neat, right? And he closed with just this idea that we can draw near to the throne of grace with boldness. With boldness, knowing that Christ is, has taken care of it on the cross and it just changes the way that we approach God. So that was really neat. Thank you, Andrew, for that awesome sermon last week. Um, Here's a little disclaimer. If you're part of our, our youth world, there's a chance that you've heard a good chunk of this sermon before. And as I said in the first service, I don't apologize for that. It's just the way it is. So you just have to hear it twice. All right? So hopefully you can bear with me this morning. Uh, the reason for that is because uh, to collectively uh, in Vernon, all the youth groups get together about three times a year. All the senior youth groups, that's the high schoolers. Uh, and we spend, again, in the fall, in the winter, and then in the spring, uh, we get together and we just have a night of worship uh, and of fellowship and of teaching. And so I got to preach uh, about three weeks ago uh, on this, what I'm going to preach on today, uh, to our youth. So that's, that's where we're going with that. Uh, and these rallies, is what they're called, uh, they've been really neat to just see just a bunch of youth who are passionate about Jesus gather together and say, hey, our common ground is Jesus, and so we can live on mission for him in our schools, and it's really, really cool. And uh, in that, in the first session, uh, I think it was in September, maybe October, Conan, who's also part of our church family, he preached on, on God drawing near to us. And then last time, I got to speak on us drawing near to God and the instruction that, that Jesus himself and, and apostles and God ultimately gives us to draw near to us to him. He says, hey, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. Uh, and so in all of that, we got to explain old covenant and new covenant. And one really neat thing that happened in the fall that right after Conan uh, spent about 40 minutes basically just going from Genesis to Revelation, as he does well, um, he just explained the old covenant and the new covenant. And there's a guy in our, a young man in our youth group who later on that week was able to minister to his friend, who's completely unchurched, by the way, and came up to him and said, hey, uh, what's the deal with the Old Covenant and the New Covenant? Well, that's a strange question if you have no church background. But this fellow was able to explain just the mercy and grace of Jesus uh, because of the cross and just the gospel and explain the gospel. And it was so cool. So that's just a little bit of a context of our youth rallies and where I'm coming at from this morning. Um, and just a little bit into the youth world. So um, in the Old Covenant, right, you see all the need for sacrifices and for priests and this whole, like, God-established process of, hey, this is how you're going to be made clean. This is how you're going to atone for your sins. And this is how you're going to draw near to me, right? This is, this is how you're going to interact with who I am in my glory. And it's this big process. 
But through the new covenant, Jesus steps on the scene and by God's design, right, the gospel frees us from all that because Jesus fulfills it perfectly on the cross. And he takes it. He's our ultimate sacrifice. And that's where we're going this morning. Uh, We're looking at how the gospel completely reforms and reshapes how we actually approach the throne of grace. So, uh, what does the gospel say about who God is? Well, the gospel says that God is holy. The gospel says that God is just. Says that he is righteous. Says that he is the life giver and the restorer and the one who initiates this plan of redemption. The gospel also says something about you and me and our identity. The gospel says that we now are redefined in our approach to God. But firstly, we need to realize something, right? The law was established so that it points to the, just the depravity of our sin, right? And we, I think, I passionately believe and think that in order for us to really appreciate and love and cling and desire the grace of God through Jesus, we need to understand where we are at without it. Without it, we are what? The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death, right? That's a scary thing. The wages of sin is an eternity without God, without being able to be in his presence and, and soak up his, his glory and, and his life that he gives to us so freely, right? We need to recognize that without him, we are destined to hell. It's just the truth. That's what scripture teaches us, right? So you start with that bad news to get the glorious good news, knowing that it is amazing and it's a beautiful, perfect gift from God and it's free. So once we realize that, hey, our sin is deep, there's a deepness and a, and a brokenness to our wretchedness. I'm using all these just horrible words, but like that's who we are in, in, our, in our nature. The gospel also then, on the flip side, proclaims that we are righteous because of who Jesus is. So now God the Father doesn't have to look at Tyler Jans the sinner. He looks at me through the lens of Christ himself and says, Tyler, what you deserve is my wrath, but what I'm going to give you because of Jesus is my grace. Therefore, you can live eternally with me. That's the gospel. It redefines who we are. Therefore, we can come to God with a restored relationship when he sees us through this lens. So my main point this morning, if you're into writing notes, uh, I know I am and I know Don does a good job often at uh, kind of saying like he could be preaching for 15, 20 minutes and then say, underline this. So if you want to write down the main point, the main point this morning is that we can approach God the Father because of what was done through Christ the Son. Right? We start to see how God in three persons works out his redemption plan. We can approach God the Father because of what was done through Christ the Son. And so there's three things I want us to consider this morning. Number one, and again, you can write these down. We're going to come back to them. Number one, Jesus reshapes how we draw near to God. Jesus is the one who reshapes it all. Number two, Jesus himself invites us and instructs us to draw near to God. Jesus invites and instructs us to draw near to God. And number three, Jesus is the one who shows us how to do it. He shows us in Scripture. This is, these are some of the ways that you draw near to the Father. All right, I'm going to tell my ski story. Everybody in the youth group is like rolling their eyes right now because that's all I ever do for illustrations is I tell ski stories and try to apply them to the gospel. 
But listen, this is, it works for this morning. I'm not, I'm not trying to stretch it. So as many of you know, about a month ago, I can't believe it's been a month already, um, I was skiing up a Silver Star, and I went off a jump, and I landed wrong. And a long story short, in the air, I saw that I was approaching a tree at rapid speed. So I decided I'm going to protect my head, and I was wearing a helmet, if you need to know. But in that, I flipped around, and my back just smacked the tree full speed, and it just spun me around. And actually, funny story, I, I'm okay, by the way. Um, I was skiing last Monday, and uh, we went and found the run. Man, it's a miracle that I'm alive. Praise the Lord. It's so awesome. But in this moment, right, I'm, I'm laying there. Now, all of these thoughts are rushing through my head, like, am I paralyzed? No, I'm good. Uh, <laughs> had to just make sure. Um, man, if I were to end up dead or, or, or seriously hurt, like, what would happen to my family? If I make it home today, is my wife going to think I'm an idiot? Probably right? But all of these things just start coming through your mind and into your heart. And the truth is, that's one of the moments I've been the most scared in my entire life. I'm laying there in the snow, and I know because of the amount of pain I'm in that I shouldn't move because there could be some serious damage. And I'm laying there in the snow for a long time, like two hours plus, just laying in the snow. Thankfully, I had buddies that were with me, Scott and Chase, and uh, the paramedics came, or the snow patrol. And it's funny, Side note, as she started brushing the snow off of me, she, she goes, oh, you're big. <laughs> and then proceeded to call in the rest of the patrol and say, yeah, we're going to need this, this, and this, and a whole bunch of bodies because we've got to lift this guy into a sled. <laughs> I was pleased to know that I, she said I wasn't the biggest they've ever had to get off the mountain, so that was nice for my own mind and heart. Um, in that moment, though, I'm terrified. I'm like, Lord, I, like, this is serious stuff. Like, I could be crippled. I could be, I could never, I don't know what kind of, at that point, I thought I fractured something in my spine. Like, I could never ski again. I could never do the things I love. I could never play with my children the way I desire. Right? All of these things start coming through my mind, and something really cool happened uh, in regards to just the nearness of God and the relationship with God. First of all, my buddy Chase, our intern, he said, Ty, I'm just going to pray for you. And he prayed for me. And immediately after, um, just scripture that I read that morning started flooding into my mind and into my heart. And that morning, uh, I decided not to just read what I was normally reading. For some reason, I'm like, I'm going to read Psalm 139 today. I don't know why. So I read the first few kind of like seven, eight, eight verses and just meditated on that. And in that moment, laying in the snow, as I'm terrified, God just reminded me, Tyler, I'm sovereign over you. Like, I am protecting you. Like, I know everything about you in your life, right? And in these words, he hems me in. Like, that just was so comforting. And in that moment, I realized, man, because I was, I was dwelling with God in the morning and because I drew near to him, in my time of need, out of his sovereignty and kindness and mercy and grace, he drew near to me when I needed just that reassurance of peace. And it was an amazing moment. Um, all that to be said, I'm healed, um, and I was skiing on Monday. So praise the Lord. That's awesome. Uh, really, really cool. But just a moment. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Clap. Don't clap. <laughs> Trust me. Every run I went down on Monday, I was thinking, avoid the trees, Tyler. Avoid the trees. Um, but all that just to point to the fact that when we draw near to God, he draws near to us. And specifically through this beautiful book. 
his Bible, his very holy word. Um, that's one of our points a little bit later on. Uh, so here's our main text this morning. I'm just going to read from Hebrews 4, and then we're going to unpack those three points uh, and hopefully find some practical things this morning. So in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 to 16, specifically, right at the end, it says this. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence or with boldness, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. May we draw near to the throne of grace so that we can by his mercy and his grace, have that in, the, in those moments, he's going to help us. With confidence, that's so amazing. Thought number one, as you look through this, verse, verse 14, really cool language, right? Old Testament, old covenant language. Jesus is our what? Our high priest, right? Why would the writer choose to use that kind of language? I think ultimately it's to drive home the point that we can now approach God uh, freely and confidently. But you have to understand, contextually here, like this is what they're dealing with. They're just coming out of like all of the, the law and this sacrificial system and priests. And a lot of it was still established for those that didn't believe in, in Jesus and his resurrection and in the gospel in the way that the apostles did. Right? And so for them, it, it just hit home. And I think for us, we have to just make a little bit of an extra effort to kind of put ourselves in that because we, you know, we don't have sacrificial system right now. Thank, thank goodness. I didn't have to sacrifice a bull in the, in the lobby before I came in here this morning. That's a really wonderful thing. Um, but that's, they understand that, right? And so the writer here in Hebrews is very intent on using this Old Testament, Old Covenant language to drive home a point of the beauty of the New Covenant. So back to our first question, what does the gospel say about God? Well, in this verse, we say Jesus is the high priest. Right? He takes action in establishing a new and better way for us to come to God, to have relationship with him, to truly know him. Right? We see this beautiful picture of God being the one who establishes this plan of redemption through his son. And, and it's, it's great because he links it to how people would be atoned before Jesus. And he says, that was a way of having some sort of rightness with me, but here's the ultimate perfect way, and it's through my son Christ. And now you'll never have to revert back to that old way. Now, you just need to believe in Jesus. Verse 16 is awesome. It says that he sympathizes with us in every way, in every temptation. Right? And, and Andrew made a point last week as he was concluding in Romans chapter 5 and 6 that in our battle with sin, as we are not to let sin reign in our lives... Uh, in our very real, intimate moments of when we draw near to God the Father, this is part of what we need to remember. That we can, because Jesus is one who sympathizes with us. Say, Lord, I, I'm having trouble following you right now because this sin just looks so desirable. Like I'm being tempted and, and I'm just, there's this weight. Well, guess what? Jesus is saying, I sympathize with that. I too was tempted, yet without sin. And so as your perfect sacrifice, you can, you can trust in me. And I can help you through that. So he sympathizes with us. Um, we have a Savior who cares for us on every level. 
right? That's something that I, I think of when I read that verse. We have a Savior who just so wonderfully cares for us on every level. So what else does it say about who we are? Let us then with confidence, right, come before the throne of God, the throne of grace. What is one of the things that the high priest had to wear around his waist as he entered the Holy of Holies? Hey, a rope with a what on it? With a bell on it. Why did he need a bell? Youth, why did he need a bell? In case he died, right? In case he died and then they could pull him out. Because so, if they went in, they would, because it had to be absolutely perfect to be in the Holy of Holies. What is this verse saying? We can then with confidence, not with a bell around our waist because we might die approaching God, with confidence we can approach the throne of grace because of what Jesus has done. I'm going to read all of verse 16 and just point out three things. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Mercy, grace, and help. So we, we, we receive this mercy, right? Out of God's mercy, he doesn't give us his wrath. Out of God's grace, even though we deserve his wrath and don't get that, he now gives us life with him and points out that he is the one who is helping us. God is the one who is helping us. Now, there's something really cool about this very word help in this part of the Bible. Uh, and I don't often do like big word studies and, and kind of go into the Greek or Hebrew or Aramaic, Aramaic languages. But I tell you, sometimes it is wildly helpful to kind of get a bit of a picture of what's going on here. This word help in, in Hebrew, it's actually called beothea. It's only used two other times, in, or one other time in Scripture, and it's in Acts. So Acts and here in Hebrews. Like the word help is used lots in Scripture, but this very Hebrew word is only used one other time. And it's to describe something that's happening to Paul when he's on his way to Rome, and his ship is about to go down, right? He gets shipwrecked in Malta. The word help is literally translates as these cables that wrap around a ship that's ready to fall apart. It's really, really cool imagery. And I go, okay, why, why use that word here in this, in this part of Scripture to describe how God helps us with his grace and mercy as we approach his throne? Um, we'll read it like this then. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find the grace to hold us together like a, like a cable holds a ship together that's on a really rough sea destined for ship wreckage so that he will help us in that way. That's awesome, awesome imagery. And so we can approach God knowing that we're just absolutely broken, right? Like I said, like we need to understand that we are just lost in our sin without a savior. And in understanding that and, and approaching God and saying, God, I am broken. I'm like a ship who is just falling apart. I'm ready, I'm ready to sink. So would you, by your mercy and grace, hold me together like these cables? I, it's just, I just love that God decides to just put some of these images in here for us. And uh, there's nothing like a God who can hold us together like that. So that being said, does that change how we approach God? Yes, absolutely it does. It absolutely changes how we approach God. We're not trying to now come to him as perfect beings, Right? We're not trying to approach God hoping that he might find favor in us because in and of ourselves, it's never going to happen. Rather, we come knowing we're broken, 
knowing that Jesus went to the cross for us, making it possible to come to God, he poured his righteousness and his pureness and his perfection on us, right? Remember I talked about that lens that God the Father now looks on us through. And to me, this is something that's just extremely comforting. It's extremely comforting. Each day in my brokenness, I can spend intimate time with the creator of the universe. That is awesome. That is so comforting. And it should actually inspire us to open up our Bibles every morning and go, this is not a chore. God, I can freely come to you. That is so incredible. Would you just speak to me this morning? Would you speak to me tonight? Would you speak to me in my lunch break as I open up your word and draw near to you? Would you just show me more and more of who you are um, in my sin, in my shame, in my anxieties, in my fear, in my doubts, in my, in my life circumstance, in all the stuff that's hard about life? God, would you just, would you wrap me up in those cables and would you just draw near to me? Jesus, through the gospel, completely reshapes how we come to God. Point number two is he invites us and he instructs us to draw near to God. So, again, last week in Romans, uh, I'm actually going to just turn there. You can too if you'd like and follow along. Um, Chapter five and chapter six. Both at the beginning of these chapters are just some beautiful truths of what the gospel is and and what it says about God and what it does for us. So here in verse 1 of chapter 5, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and in which we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Did you catch it? Number one, we're justified. We throw that word out there all the time. But what it simply means is this new lens that God looks on us, right? We are counted righteous because of Christ. We're justified. Number two, we have peace with God through Christ. And then we obtain this access by faith to approach him, right? That's a big identity shift, isn't it? And then you jump over to to chapter six and it says this. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin That grace may abound, right? And Andrew spent some time at length last week talking about how we can get in that zone where we just take this, his grace and mercy for granted. When really we ought to understand like, no, no, this grace is a beautiful thing. We actually need to be striving towards holiness because of him. How can we who died to sin and still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. All of this so that we can walk in newness of life. It completely changes us for newness of life, for a purpose. So that we can walk in newness of life. James chapter 4. I want you to turn there now. We're kind of all over the place this morning. We're going to John 2 later on, by the way. That's the, that's the little hint. James chapter 4 says this, and just talking about our, our wrestling with sin, right, and not letting sin reign in our lives, says this, what, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that, you, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. 
You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Verse 4, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now listen, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Three things I want, us, I want us to see from this portion of scripture that, again, just points us to this whole idea that Jesus reshapes how we approach God. Number one, there is a battle going on inside of us, a power struggle for, for following God. But how comforting it is to know that we serve a jealous God who, I love the language there, he yearns for us, he yearns for the spirit that he gave to dwell in us. He wants that to be the spirit. He wants himself, his spirit, to be the one who is reigning in us all the time. Yet there's this struggle within us. There's this war within us. This spiritual battle that says, yeah, but look at all the beautiful things that sin has to offer. And it is. It satisfies for a second, doesn't it? And it pulls us. And we want all of these things. And we become jealous. And we become adulterers, right? This is strong language here in James. But that's what's going on daily, moment by moment, inside of our hearts, is that there's this war within us. The instruction then is to submit and to resist. Right? Submit to God and resist the devil. There's a war within us. God yearns for us. There's an instruction, submit and, and surrender to him and resist the devil. And it kind of puts it in our court a little bit. You need to understand something. This is not saying all of a sudden salvation is up to us. No, no. Salvation is all God. It's all God. He took care of it on the cross. When you believe in him, when you receive the gospel for your own and are adopted into his family, he has then given us the tools to be able to resist the devil. His word, his spirit, right? A church community to be able to walk each and every day and not let sin reign in your lives. But there's a promise here, and I love scriptural promises. We can, we can build the foundation of our life on the promises of God. What does it say? Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You draw near to God? Tyler, in the morning, I want you to, I want you to open up Psalm 139 and I want you to spend time with me. Because a little bit later on, you're going to need it. I didn't know that was all that was going on. Right? This is one example. But it's a promise. He's going to draw near to us. How comforting is that? Okay, John 15. We'll go back and forth between John 15 and Hebrews now for the rest of the time. But John 15, if you're familiar with it, is I'm the vine, right? Vine dresser, pruning, stay linked to me, right? This is now Christ inviting us to draw near to him. He's like, hey, I want you to stay connected to me. And when you do, I am going to give you life. I'm going to be able to help you abide in me when you stay connected to me. So John 15 1 to 11 says this. I am the true vine. This is Jesus speaking. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that 
does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I love that. Just by the way, apart from me, you can do absolutely nothing of eternal value. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And then verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So that my joy may be in you, and so that your joy may be full. A couple things here. Jesus is drawing us a really beautiful picture of what it's like to walk with him. He's using this example of a tree, right? He wants us to understand something huge and rich. So he is the tree, and when we are linked to him, we are linked to life. And without life, we don't have fruit, right? You can't produce good things in this world without being connected to the ultimate good thing being Jesus, right? We can't be effective for his kingdom unless we're connected to him, right? Being linked to him in this way is only made possible through the gospel. So this is how we stay connected. We abide, right? We abide, we remain, we endure, we last, we continue, we live, stay, wait. Those are all the same word to describe what's going on here and how what Jesus is trying to say. Abide in me and I will abide in you. Draw near to me and I will draw near to you. Notice verse 5. You are, I say these things. Because you are already clean. That's a gospel statement. Isn't that awesome? He's pointing to the fact that when you're linked to Christ, you're clean. Right? It's a gospel statement. You are already clean. Our essential act of abiding is in our act of receiving all that God is in Christ. Our essential act of abiding in him is in our act of receiving the gospel. Right? It all starts with receiving this free gift. And like I said before, and I'll continue to say, it's not on your merit. It's from God. But when you receive it, then you can abide in him. So take this tree image. Jesus is the life-giving sap that pours into our lives. How desperately do we need that every single day? Don't we? I know I do. I know I do. I need him so much. Without him, I'm just a wreck. I'm a ship destined for the bottom of the sea. Verse 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. We are being cared for internally by the life that flows through us from Jesus and externally by the Father who prunes us. Did you catch that? That language that Christ used, uses there? He says, I'm the vine and who's the fine, the vine, the fine dresser? Who's the vine dresser? God the Father. 
So staying linked to me, I'm going to be the one who, who gives you life. I'm going to be the one who, who works in you through my spirit. And God the Father, as the vine dresser, he's going to prune you. And he's going to put things in your life that actually might even hurt a little bit to help you do this better and to help you become more like me and to help you stay linked to me, right? I know that in this church there's quite a few people who are in the orchard business, right? Or as I called it in the first service, orchard ministry, because <laughs> it can be. Um, pruning is absolutely essential to have a healthy tree, isn't it? We live in the Okanagan. You know that that's true. Grapes, apples, whatever. you got to prune the tree for it to produce. It just has to be done. And so Jesus is using this imagery with us saying, God the Father is going to need to do some pruning in your life because it's absolutely necessary. The only problem is I don't often really like the pruning because it hurts. Right? It does. It's uncomfortable. It means often that our sin is exposed. It means often that we have to even more this morning, i got to go on my knees before God and say, God, I, I just need you. I need you to chisel away the junk in my life. I need you to clip away with your shears just the junk in my life because I want to be more like you. I want to be able to submit to you. I want to be able to resist the devil. And I can only do that through you, so would you just prune me? That's a cool prayer. Just be careful because he will. When you pray prayers like that, like give me patience and, and Lord help me to do this and that, he's going to do it. But that's best for you. It's best for me. I am the true vine, he is the vine dresser. The main goal of all of this is that God gets the glory. See it here in verse 8. By this my father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so proving to be my disciples. And again, proving, if you just read, I have to prove to be God's disciple. Simply that means, if you want other people to see Jesus in your life and, and to make other disciples and to see this fruit, you're going to do it in a way that points to Jesus and Jesus alone. And in that, God is going to be the one who gets glorified. That's the whole point of everything. That's the whole point of life is just the supremacy of God. And our absolute need for him. And that's a hard thing to wrestle with sometimes, I think. So, number one, Jesus reshapes through the gospel how we approach God. Number two, he invites us and instructs us in John 15 and in James and in other places in scripture, that we desperately need to draw near to him, but he also graciously shows us how to do it. Uh, verse 7 in John 15 says this, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So what's one of the ways we can abide in him? Through his words. Where are his words in 2020? Right here. So very simply, Sunday school answer, read your Bibles. You got to read your Bible. And not just read it, but you have, to, you have to approach him every morning and say, God, I know the words in here. I could just read them and then nothing can happen. But would you just soften my heart this morning? Would you just remind me of who you are? Would you reveal something new to me this morning about your nature, about, about your just who you are, God, or maybe something new about me that I didn't, I didn't recognize. Maybe reveal that sin. Lord, do, do some pruning this morning, right? That, like Jesus is saying, like, take my words seriously and just have my words just absolutely saturate your life. The second thing that Jesus shows us in how to do it is love. Verse 9, it says this. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. 
Abide in my words, abide in my love. Well, what does that mean? Well, number one, remember the gospel. Remember that he loves you. But also there's an action in that, right? I need to be loving others, right? Brothers and sisters in Christ, I need to be living sacrificially for them. Those that don't know Jesus, I need to be living in a way that just says, I want you to know Jesus because Jesus wants you to know him. He wants you in his kingdom. And so I'm, I'm just going to love on you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be humble. I'm going to show you mercy and grace. You do something, you do something towards me and in my sinful nature, I want to retaliate. Actually, I'm just going to show you grace. And I'm going to show you mercy. And I'm going to show you that love of the Father. Man, that speaks volume, especially in your workplaces where 90% of the people are probably unsaved. Right? That will go a long way and open up opportunities for you to share. Number three, joy. Verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. It's God's desire for us. Yes, he wants us to submit to him and he wants to reign in our lives as king. But not in like a, oh, I guess I got to go let the Lord be king of my life today. No, no. In joy. In absolute joy. Psalm 16. In his presence, there's joy overflowing. That's a paraphrase, obviously. Right? At his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Like That's his desire for his children is that they're filled with joy. A joy that only comes from him. Not a joy in the stuff. Not a joy in the stuff that is, is pulling us away like we saw in James in, the, in the, this battle within us. No, no. He wants to fill us up with who he is. He's most satisfied in us when we're most satisfied in him. Like he just, that's his jealousy working. Like he, like he yearns for your spirit. He put your spirit there and he's like, Tyler, like stop going to all the other stuff. Complete satisfaction and joy is in me. So why don't you just draw near to me because I'm going to give it to you. Words, love, joy. Additional to this, I want to take a sidestep and talk about Daniel because we are in Daniel. Pastor Don is taking us through there. Uh, notice, right in chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar, he has this impossible, humanly impossible challenge to Daniel and to all their magicians and everything saying, hey, I'm not going to tell you the dream. I want you to, one, tell me what the dream is. Two, tell me what it means. And so what does Daniel do? He goes to God. He draws near to his father and he recognizes that God is sovereign all of, over all of that. That spoke to me so profoundly a couple of weeks ago when, when Don was saying, I want, one of the main things I want you to get from this morning is that God is sovereign. Right? And we see that in the life of Daniel and his friends that they just totally believe it. And it just totally dictates how they live their lives. They're living in a time of, in the world where to be someone who identifies with the God of Israel means death, right? That's, that's how they're operating, right? And <laughs> they're just doing it so joyfully. And look what happens. All of a sudden, God does an amazing work. Words, love, and joy. I, I want to conclude just with kind of wrapping it all up, right? So really this morning, you need to leave knowing that the gospel, it just... Yes, it saves you from sin, but in its completion, like, it gives you joy. And it gives you the ability to draw near to God every single day. The ability to face this life's many challenges, knowing that there is a God who loves you and who cares for you. 
It reshapes everything. Once you receive it, you can remain in it, right? You can do the words that are described in John 15. You can resist the devil like in James 4. God is holy. He's just. He's perfect. He's our redeemer. He's our rescuer. And he's the one who initiates the drawing near, right? He's the one who initiates that. And we are, because of Jesus, then justified and now given a way to boldly and confidently approach the throne of grace, knowing that he's the one who's going to hold us together. Remember those cables? He's going to hold us together. We're just broken ships. That's all we are. We're just broken, and we need him every single day. The words in Hebrews 4 help us live out the words in John 15 and in James and other spots in Scripture. Right? We can approach the throne of grace confidently because of the gospel, and here's how we do it. We just look at what Jesus tells us to do. It's very simple. Profound, but simple. 